0: Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know.
1: I used to dream about ice skating everywhere when I was a kid. I'd skate to the airport to get on the plane and never take my skates off for for a whole day. So the streets were made for blading.
0: From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. If you were around in the 1980s, you no doubt remember preppy fashions, permed hair, and people in short shorts and long socks zipping around the lakes on rollerblades. Scott Olsen didn't invent the inline skate, but he improved on an idea that had virtually no market traction. He made it a key training tool for hockey players like himself and a fitness phenomenon that remained popular well into the 1990s and is still around today and based in Minnesota. Scott, as you'll hear, is a classic creative with big ideas and the drive to pursue them, but not necessarily scale and manage them. Money issues forced Scott out of Rollerblade by 1986, just six years after the company's launch. Star Tribune columnist Dick Youngblood wrote at the time, there's no need to mourn for Scott Olson, whose creative genius produced a gold mine called Rollerblade Incorporated in 1979, but whose dearth of capital and management expertise cost him control of the company. Well today, Scott shares his rollerblade story and his lifelong drive to invent new products at the intersection of
1: fitness and thrills. I was a goalie growing up playing hockey, so I was always finding myself building uh, better goalie equipment. I got into golf at a young age, so I was always kind of working on golf clubs and uh, always trying to do something to to make a, well, that wasn't so much to make a buck. That was uh, making goalie equipment. That was pretty much trying to save my body because if if you ever felt a hockey puck and if you ever got hit by a hockey puck, it would make you want to not even play anymore. That's how bad it would hurt. So being a goalie, uh, I had to I was always beefing up my equipment, so but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and being able to to make my own living. Really? Uh, Yeah, I knew that early on. Who were
0: your role models?
1: Well, back then, uh, you know, the word entrepreneur really wasn't around in the 70s, you know, it Mm -hmm. seemed like. And uh, I think the role models I had were at that age growing up, you know, I grew up in St. Louis Park and... uh, graduated in 77 but it was probably more hockey people mm-hmm. that was probably my role model that was my goal mm-hmm. early on is to become a hockey player and a goalie so that's kind of where I was really focusing and maybe too much of that
0: And and you you played in college?
1: I I played in college for a couple of months and and uh, the coach came in up at UND and told me they wanted to redshirt me for the season. And, and it was like, well, what is redshirt? What does that mean? And uh, it meant that you had to sit out for a year. And that's when I skipped uh, North Dakota and moved to Manitoba and played Junior A, which is where, where I was really meant to be because that's really, really, that's really groomed the NHL hockey players at that time, 90% of them. Came out of the Canadian uh, Junior League, so I was up there probably one of the only, obviously one of the one of the only goalies up there from the states playing in the Junior League. So did you do well? I, I did. I I, uh, I I always knew I could do well, and then and then to be able to play in that arena with the the best junior players, uh, so that's where I really thought I could really become a star in the NHL, and that's what I kept pursuing at that time.
0: Let's dive into the aha moment. The way that I've heard it told is that, so, so you were playing, you're, you have your sights set on being a professional hockey player. That's the goal, not necessarily being a, a businessman, but you want a way to practice in the summer.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: And what, what was the moment you remember the first time you thought, I'm going to take my hockey skates and put wheels on them?
1: Well, traveling in Canada, you'd get Hockey News. That was a big publication up there, and I saw an advertisement always in the back of the uh, newspaper, and uh, it always intrigued me. And it wasn't until uh, driving home from Brandon, Manitoba, after my first season up there, I come around the corner. It's probably a 10-hour drive, and I'm coming home, and I see my younger brother. Uh, who's probably five years younger than me, skating down the street in them, and I'm going, holy cow! You know, let's check those out. And, uh, he and I, had
0: r- skate he, blades. I mean, he had roller he blades. Had inline. Okay, inline skates.
1: Inline skates, and so where did he get them? He was the first guy that had them. He he picked them up at the local uh, hockey store in Bloomington. Okay. And then uh, I went down there like the next day, and. Got my own pair and then uh, came home and never really drove my car again. You know, so I skated everywhere on them. So I think it's important
0: to mention that, I mean, you are not the first person who ever put wheels on skates. I know you can trace, I googled it, you can trace the history way, way back. But nobody had really, they weren't popular, which is kind of hard to believe. Why do you think that was?
1: Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the technology at the time. Because like you said, it goes back before roller skates. Inlines go back before roller skates. It really came from ice skating, something wheels in line. And back then they really had just wood or steel or really, really hard urethane for wheels. And you really have to have the right formula to hold an edge much like you would with an ice blade. Mm. The physics behind ice skating where you actually melt the ice and you can hold an edge. Sure, so the inline didn't happen back in the day and i i've I've got all the old patents and of uh back in the late eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds and some great great designs, so it really went to the two by uh the four by four conventionals and that's what became popular roller skates roller skates yeah. and uh
0: but that's not gonna be helpful to a to a professional athlete,
1: yeah. Well, for sure, uh, a hockey athlete, yeah, hockey player. So there's your brother
0: skating around the cul-de-sac or the street in St. Louis Park, and you're like, "I want some of those." And then, did you did you just kind of spend the summer skating with him and training, or were you right away thinking there's a business opportunity here?
1: Well, the business opportunity I saw coming right away when I went to a party, a welcome home party. Uh, My gal friend was throwing for me and. I rolled into the party on my skates and, <laughs> and, of course, all my old hockey buddies were there because they all, all wanted to know what it was like to be in Canada playing hockey. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the uh, the inlines at the time stole the show and all my buddies were outside skating around and that's when I realized I'm going to go down and see if I can get some more of these and get my buddies skating on them and, and then, t- you know, try to make some money at it. Right. Right. Because nobody had ever seen them. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So
0: so what how much time and effort did it take to create what really became rollerblades? How much technology and, you know, advancement did you need to to put into this product?
1: Well, I, I got lucky because I became a distributor of the product that was being made out in California because when I went back to the local sporting goods shop, he gave me the card of this guy that made them in California because this sporting goods shop in Bloomington wanted nothing to do with them because they had bought a half a dozen pair of them five years earlier, hadn't sold any of them, one to my brother, a pair to me, and then I went back and bought the other other four Uh and had those sold right away. So when I went back to him, to Bob uh, at this uh, Bloomington shop, and he's like, "I don't, I don't want any more anything to do with these skates." So that's where it was really what made it easy for me because I became a distributor because I I hunted this guy down out in California. Started, what was it called? What was that company? Uh, that was uh, Super Street Skate. Okay. And uh, they're very crude inline skates, but it was it was the principle, you know, of inline and everybody that i got on them uh, that were hockey players really felt that it was like ice skating okay you know it was a lot of work compared to the the wheels and the skates uh what we have going on right now which is what which is what how it evolved uh, is really uh i got going on it then i i wanted to improve on the uh concept the guy out in california had never skated on them for the most part i skated on them I wanted to keep making them better. The guy in California didn't want anything to do with it. I decided to make my own. Mm. And uh, next thing I find out, um, I'm in business now making my own skates. Did you have to put a lot of money in? Did
0: you know who to go to to manufacture?
1: Um, back then, now we're going back uh, a ways, you know, uh Uh, I, uh, I always was not afraid to ask for help, you know, and, uh, knock on doors. So I was always moving around, finding people would always want to help out, you know? Mm -hmm. So naturally, uh, you know, it took me a couple of years to have my own product, the, the actual roller blade after I started up, which was like 79. I started selling these things out of the back end of my, my uh, Volkswagen Bug. and
0: Your your own skates? Yeah. Well, no, no. The, the, the skate from skates from California.
1: Okay. okay. And then uh, my own design came up. I got a patent on them. Uh, the patent attorneys from 3M opened up their doors over here, just down the road from where we're at right now. And that was quite an experience walking into the, Headquarters of 3M to talk to the patent attorney there. How did you
0: know? How did you even know to go to 3M?
1: Well, that was that was uh, old hockey uh, connection buddy of mine that I was playing uh, pro hockey with said you got to go see this guy at 3M. He went to school with my brother. He'll help you out because they had this whole new design. So I had thought, well, let's get it patented. Well, this patent attorney said, let's let's do a search. He did a patent search, and the patent search came back with the a hundred different designs that went back to the 1800s. And I'm looking at them, going, "Holy cow! Look at all these cool inline designs!" Yeah, a hundred of them. Yeah. And you know, prior to that, I had only seen one, and that was right. the one I was selling. And uh, and that guy in California, he made it me had me believing that he was the guy that had the patent on the inline skate. Okay, but he didn't. Well, he had a a patent on a design feature of the inline skate. So there was
0: room for you to move in and improve
1: on this concept. And that's what this guy from 3M helped me with, because I was here, I'm 19 years old, 20, not having a lot of experience, obviously. So he kind of guided me through it. And my design that we had come up with was exactly like one of the ones that was found in this patent search was Prior Art. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was made by the biggest, the largest roller skate company, Chicago Roller Skates, had had a patent on it. And uh, so I uh, went down and uh, picked up the uh, patent from Chicago Roller Skates. So I didn't really have to do a patent. They, they didn't want it? They really, no, they, they failed with it miserably. And uh, so the guy that I was dealing with, the owner of the company, and, you know, he was about, uh, he seemed like he was a probably 75, 80 at the time, and he was still running the company, and he was trying to talk me out of it all the time. <laughs> you, why do you want this? We've had this on our catalog for uh, a couple times, and we we just bombed on it. So he finally said, here, take it. I didn't have to give him any money up front. Yeah. Just give us the royalty on your sales. and. It was a, just a sweet deal,
0: do you think it was that nobody had made the connection before between hockey and inline skates? Was that the missing piece and why they they weren't successful commercially?
1: yeah I think that's yeah that's how i I've always described that that was that's what really gave it the jump start was it was i, I decided to make it you know a training tool mm-hmm. but back then you know uh it, you know even in the early seventies let's not like you would train to be a hockey player. You know, you'd go from one sport to the next sport to the next sport. Back mm-hmm. in the day, it wasn't right? like today where you're training yeah.
0: off season and going to summer camps.
1: And that's kind of so that 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 kind of came at the right time for me too because in the early '80s, you know, we were trying to we we're training now mm-hmm. even a little bit before that, right? So uh, especially after the '80 Olympics. Yeah. So you, you know.
0: sensed that the the moment and the market was ripe, and you weren't at all. Deterred by the fact that people had tried and failed to sell inline skates previously.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: So, did you? How much did you change the the product before you launched as what was rollerblades?
1: Well, I changed uh, the whole wheel configuration, the the material, which was key because now now instead of like having to really skate hard just to go down a hill. You could actually fly going down a hill, so you know it was night and day because of the the whole wheel compound that I was using and at that time, the outdoor roller skates were getting uh popular too, and they well they had been kind of kind of a hit back mm-hmm. in the uh early eighties when I was just coming out with my own design, so I kind of copied their wheel formula, put it in an inline, and it was uh became a whole nother skate. you could it was like skating on ice now you're just going so fast and it really became more transportation and more fitness from that standpoint. so that that was one of the big hurdles that we got uh, that we innovated was the wheel, the whole frame design we made it so it was more adjustable to really fit your boot properly and emulate the length of your blade and the, and everything so there's a few different components.
0: And was this you like tinkering in a garage? Did you go to a manufacturer? How'd you get this done? You're a 19-year-old kid.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I was doing both. I was always, uh, like I said earlier, always looking for help Mm -hmm. with different people. And uh, some of the stuff, you know, we'd have to find the right people to help us get it to that stage, you know. And so, you know, Minnesota, Minneapolis, you know, it's it's kind of a hub for machinists and fab shops, and uh, some of the largest companies have come out of here. So there's a lot of lot of talent out here, and there still is. So I I I've, I, I was lucky. I ran into some great fab people and to help me get it to the next level.
0: When you officially launched in 1981 as Rollerblade with this all new inline skate that most people hadn't seen, didn't know what it was what what was the reaction what
1: do you remember did it take off immediately <laughs> yeah i wish <laughs> it was always kind of moving ahead you know but it never really took off like in my hands it didn't really take off but at the same time uh you know when you go from 50,000 maybe to 150,000 in sales and dollars and then up to 250 the next year you know that was that was some good growth, you know, considering uh, you started from zero. It
0: started with hockey players, but it seems like the real big explosion was when people started using them for fitness. I mean, I remember the, the days you could barely walk around a lake because there'd be so many inline skaters zipping by you. What? How did that happen, and did you see that coming?
1: Well, that uh, I for sure saw that coming, only because— now with the new wheels that we had, you can really keep up with the roller skaters that were using the lakes because it always baffled me with the super street skates skating around the lakes, why these roller skaters were kind of skating with a, a lot less effort. And the wheels were so much wider, covering more surface, creating more friction. Mm-hmm. I knew enough on a bike, growing up on a bike that the The harder uh, the tires were, the faster you'd go, and it was because of less friction. Sure. So it just never made sense to me that the inlines would be that much slower until the the wheel formula that we mimicked off the roller skates. So by doing that and skating with the roller skaters, you realize that these street skates, the roller blades were so much safer Mm -hmm. for outdoor skating because you didn't get hung up on cracks or rocks I mean, I, I remember the days when I'd skate in from Bloomington into downtown and it'd be at night, even no lights. You know, just ripping down the streets and and uh, never crashing. Hmm. Uh, it was amazing. So that I knew that it would really become more of a, a recreational street skate, and uh, that's when I really got the the boot mm-hmm. involved in, it, and that's when I went to Italy. And uh found the right boot they had to be, uh, that was, so that really helped take it to the recreational market when we got the boot.
0: At what point did you um, hang up your hockey skates and say, okay, I, I am fully an entrepreneur and I'm in business?
1: Well, that was probably um, maybe when I was 21 and I was kind of going, bumping around team to team. And just kind of got real frustrated, more so with the uh, the politics of the of uh, the sport, the professional sport, and being an American and dealing with the Canadians, and they wanted to you know kind of control the game. So I kind of lost interest, and luckily I really had the blades kind of humming and really enjoying that. So that's I, I dumped it like '82 playing pro.
0: Set the scene for us once once the rollerblades launched. I mean, were you like were you a celebrity founder the way entrepreneurs are today? Did did you have a team behind you? Were you selling in stores? Was the phone ringing off the hook? What what was it like for you in the early (laughs) eighties?
1: Well, I wouldn't call myself being a celebrity. Uh, um, At the same time, I I, you know I always wanted to be, so I I was always out there trying to get uh, on the, the next TV show and the next paper and that sort of stuff. But I had a I had a really great team. In fact, uh, you know, my real young, younger brother uh Brennan, uh he kinda minded the uh the shop and and then I brought in a, a guy named Putsee that kinda helped out shipping the product out. So as we continued to to grow, you know, we'd bring uh I'd bring more and more people on board to help out. And then uh, knowing what uh I'd like to do best. That's when I brought in a, a business manager to ha- handle the books and keep an eye on, on the home front because I, I felt I had to keep doing what I was doing and what I loved doing, which was getting out and promoting uh, the product. So that's what I did and and had a lot of help that way because every every place I'd go, I'd set up another hockey guy because the stores in the beginning weren't buying into it. So I I actually set up. My own dealers, in terms of uh, working with hockey coaches, became my dealers. Mm. And that's what helped kind of launch it, too, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably 84, we started opening up stores because then we brought on a sales manager that helped open up the uh, retail network. And, uh, you know, it was really exciting to see the growth and just the feedback. I mean, uh, everybody loved the, the product. and yeah. So that's that's what made it real interesting, and to see it out there. I was I mean, going
0: to say it must have just been amazing to to be seeing people out there skating in your, in the product that you invented.
1: It was, and uh, I uh, and with the idea that you know I, I can maybe really make this thing into something big mm-hmm. too, you know, and and make that other goal of mine not being a not only becoming a hockey player but becoming wealthy, right? So. Uh, I thought, yeah, I could probably make a couple million bucks off this thing, you know, someday, and and then, uh, but then to really be living it, because uh, 'cause I have to dream about ice skating everywhere when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, I, I'd I'd skate to the airport to get on the plane and never take my skates off <laughs> for a, for a whole day. So the, the I mean the 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 streets were made for blading.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you were your own best uh, advertisement, best billboard. So 1984 rolls around. You're really just getting started. This is taking off. This looks to be a, a, a something more than a fad. I mean, this is a new exercise movement, a new fitness craze, and it's it's for athletes. And then you ha- you hit some internal business problems.
1: The one guy I brought on who I was the best man in his wedding when I was in like Eighth grade, I was his best man. That's how close we were, right? Yeah. Now and he was 22 at the time. Well, uh, now I'm 22, and he's how old now? And older. And he was my business guy. I brought him in, and uh, he took care of everything. And and he was a guy that eventually embezzled from me, mm. and and kind of kind of put me out of business. So so that. That happened, uh, I think, 86, just when things were really rocketing, and, and that's when uh, the Negley team came in, you know, the big billboard tycoon came in and took over.
0: So you you kind of trusted him to, to manage the, the money side while you were out there promoting and improving on the product, found out that he wasn't doing what you thought, and you basically had to sell, you were out of
1: money? yeah yeah um well, because he took the money uh because we kept plowing everything back into the business you know how did that feel well it uh I don't know i guess it's uh i like I attribute a lot of my uh thinking and uh actions uh being an athlete particularly a goalie, so i I kind of you know I was bummed out for a day or two <laughs> a day <laughs> and i had to you know i had to regroup yeah. You know, because I still had that goal of being successful with this product. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I lost the rollerblade. blade. There's more involved in that whole deal. I don't really need to get into that, but on how Negley took me out. But uh, I learned from it. And then I, at the time, I was working on, which I thought was going to be the next roller blade, which was the switch blade. So I was really working on the next design as I was owning Rollerblades and really pioneering it because I had that vision, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, this thing's going to be big. Mm -hmm. Well, how is it going to get big? Well, you got to keep innovating and improving. And I was improving because I was on it every day.
0: You sold to another Minneapolis entrepreneur and then were you just completely out of rollerblade? I mean, you're always your name is always associated with it despite the fact that you sold yeah. it in 86. What happened after the sale?
1: Well, that uh 80 yeah, it was 86 and uh I Negley took it took me out. I got a I got a small piece. I, so that's why I was lucky cuz uh, I've always said, you know, the the entrepreneur and the inventor Seldom see anything because mm-hmm. they never they can never hold on long enough to see the rewards. So mm-hmm. luckily, I was able to hold on to a little piece of it, and the little piece that I did hold on to, I had to fight for about four or five years just to get that from Negley uh, because I always kept telling him it's like you know you got to you got to pay me what we at least signed for right, and that's what I was fighting for for so long. And then he had, he had the first right of refusal on the switchblade idea, and that wasn't written up really well. Here I hired one of the best law firms in town. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the best lawyer in the law firm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't spell out the wording properly in this first right of refusal. So Negley kind of had me on that because I uh, I couldn't move forward. With my new product, which uh, that's, that's what really got me through losing the roller blade company. Psychologically, I, was, I knew I had this better design. So what happened with
0: Scott's better design? We'll hear all about it after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best & Flanagan with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best & Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Scott's been pushed out of rollerblade. He's tied up in lawsuits, but he's also thinking about his follow-up invention.
1: It was just a an interchangeable ice to roller blade. Ah. But it made it it was a better rollerblade design from the standpoint of skating on pavement, but it also had the uh, feature of being able to skate on the ice. So what happened to the switchblade? Did... Well, I finally got it off up to market on, onto the market and uh uh, we had some success with it. I had to change the name, switch it, because Rollerblades came after me because of the trademark they thought I was infringing on Rollerblades. Yeah. So, so you started a new company. Total new company, new okay. product, and brought in new investors and launched it. And then uh, after about four years working on that company, my one of my main investors bought me out. And uh, he took it over, and then I moved on to other ideas.
0: And is that sort of where your head is at? You're you're about the invention. You don't want to run the company.
1: Uh, to to uh, some ex- yeah, for sure. I love inventing. Uh, I also like putting the the team together. So let's say maybe I haven't been that successful as putting the teams together over the years. And uh, but uh, at the same time. Uh, I've been lucky enough to keep doing what I love doing and in, in innovating and inventing does switch it still exist no, no it uh not that uh specific product i I've seen knockoffs on on it over the years. Why do you think it didn't take off like rollerblades did well uh, good question uh, yeah, I'm not sure why it was a great it was a great concept you know when i first enter, when I first started developing it. The market was primarily hockey. So it, it's hard to say. There's a lot of reasons why great ideas don't happen. You know, it could be the team. And I think that probably it because my partner wanted to to kind of uh, cheapen up the product. Mm. You know, and it could have been the price point at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Back when we were selling the uh, first Super Street Skates, what made it easy for guys, they could just buy just the blades and put them on their boot. So I've always said that was really the big, one of the big areas that really got the idea jump started was that they didn't have to spend $150 in the beginning on a new idea. They, the, the consumer could spend just $60 sure. and get skating. Right. So price has a lot to do with a lot of things, obviously.
0: So by the time the '90s roll around, you're you're out of both of these companies. You've made enough money that you you don't have money concerns. I mean, may, maybe not the kind of payoff that that. Uh, Founders dream of today, but Correct. but yeah. but you, you you've done okay. Does that change your mindset when when you when you're not working to to pay the bills? You're really just you had the space to invent and dream up the next idea. How did how did things change for you?
1: Yeah, that uh, that definitely. Uh, I think that's a, a an artist, uh, musician's dream and uh, inventor's dream is to be able to to do what they really want to do on their own time. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the mode I got into. So I was, like I said, I was very lucky at a young age to be able to keep doing what I wanted to do. You never had to go work in an office and put on a suit. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Avoided that whole game. (laughs) Yeah, because I wouldn't have lasted there.
0: Do you still uh, skate?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I still love I don't skate as much as I used to but I still love uh, inline skating, uh, street skating. I did the last marathon uh, last, not last year, but I did the one in Berlin. Uh, so I'm kind of back in. The Rollerblade group has got me back in, and they uh, they give me some garb, and they give me new skates every year. And Who owns Rollerblade today? It's uh, uh, it's, uh it's an Italian company. And they've asked you to to come back in what capacity? Well, uh, just just as a, I wouldn't even say a spokesperson, uh, maybe an ambassador. Maybe, the, yeah. Whenever they need uh, somebody at an event, they'll ask me if I want to show up. And, nice, yeah. And uh, yeah, so the last event was this big race in Berlin, and and uh, so we got to go over there and do that race and. Uh, so um, whenever there's a race, I kind of like to get into it and skate it. And, you know, it's easy. I keep telling people, you know, just go skate the uh, Duluth Marathon, you know. It's not a big deal. It's not like, it's not like running a marathon. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe like, that's what I should do. Yeah. You
0: know, I'm never going to run one. Um, rollerblades are not – I mean, there was a moment where the, you had to have a pair. Everybody wanted them. They're not quite as, you know, on fire as they
1: were. They're They're still out there.
0: Do you think it's just the natural cycle of things?
1: That's a great. Uh, that's a that's the million dollar, the billion dollar question. There is, you know, why why is it dropped off so much? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. I kind of kind of sum it up real quickly by thinking, well, we got to get them in the get them in a movie. You know, a big Hollywood movie where how you use them. You know, how yeah. some people use them. You know, people like to go out. And, and get fit on them. I mean, yeah. it's a beautiful motion, you mm-hmm. know, low impact, especially if you're on the right kind of pavement. So I I think if it could get back in, get into a great movie setting and, uh, but other than that, I don't know why it's dropped off. I, you know, working with the rollerblade, the guy that runs the rollerblade uh, companies here in uh, Wyzetta. So I'm in touch with him and we talk about it once in a while. And, and uh it's you know, they, their sales are bigger down in South America, I think, right now than anywhere. Hmm. So it's kind of moving around the globe. You moved on right away to other
0: ideas. There was a rower, there was give give us a few highlights of what came after rollerblade and the, the switch it for you.
1: Well, I worked on a bunch of uh wheel designs for inlines. I, I came up with a pneumatic uh skate wheel for inline skating that kind of uh, bombed after I, I put a bunch of money into it because the uh, it really became a bomb when you had to put 300 pounds of pressure in a three-inch diameter wheel. Mm. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I don't want these things to be blown up, but it was a hell of a ride to skate <laughs> on a uh, a pneumatic wheel. Okay. Because most inline wheels were solid urethane. Mm-hmm. So the pneumatic wheel was really cool. So I, I, I boarded that. But by developing that, I, I ran into a, a, a investor that became one of my best friends. And we, we're still great friends to this day. And that was years ago. Some of the bigger things I worked on uh, was the uh, row bike that you referred to, mm-hmm. the rowing machine. Uh, I got turned on to rowing at the age of about 20 when I was coming back from Canada and training and I got on a rowing machine for the first time and uh, I was just blown away by the the workout and uh, I thought I got to get this thing moving mm-hmm. and then after developing the roller blades and gaining all that experience on putting that thing on the market I thought well this would be a great challenge to put this rowing machine on two wheels and be able to take that out on the pavement and get get probably the world's finest workout. Yeah, moving right. And uh, and I did, uh, and that was a that was a challenge uh, to because uh, a lot of the designers I went to was like, well, you're not going to be able to balance the t- on two wheels, and your you know when you're rowing properly, your seat's moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, 20 inches, and your handlebar would be moving back and forth. And you got to make their, all it's like, hey, you got to make this thing with three wheels or four wheels. It was like, no, I got to do it with two. I had that vision, you know. So I pulled it off and had a lot of success with it in in the early years, had it on a TV commercial. And we were selling so many of them that we ran out of cash because we couldn't keep up with the cash flow.
0: You weren't able to sell
1: the design to another company? Well, I kept it going. I kept it going. I brought it back after we expanded into two different plants, uh, and then having to lay off everybody when the money ran out. Mm-hmm. And I was funding that one, and I pretty much had to shut it down because I already kind of exceeded what I wanted to put into it. So I shut it down, brought it back, kind of reworked it a little bit, the the design a little bit, and put it back out on my own. And then I licensed. I got lucky and I licensed it out to somebody. And that's where it's at now. Somebody else is selling it, and I get a royalty. It still exists. Yeah. Okay. You can still buy a row bike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's your design. Yeah. But don't go to rowbike.com because I, I'm not happy with their web page. <laughs>
0: where should we go? <laughs> find them elsewhere,
1: huh? Yeah. You'll find them.
0: I'm curious, you know, you are clearly such a creative, such a, you know, a, a doer, an inventor, a maker, maybe less so with the numbers, not not your favorite piece of this. Why didn't you, and you mentioned a couple of people who were investors or money people. Why didn't you early on just team up with someone who could be your, you know, CEO so that you could do what you do and, and you just kind of build a, a, a big company together. Did you ever consider that? Well, that's
1: that's kind of what I did with Blades. You know, I tried to find the CEO mm-hmm. because I knew that, you know, I wasn't cut out for that. Yeah. And I did the same thing with the row bike. I brought in a guy from Nordic Track, and was relying on him. Mm-hmm. And he uh, made the mistake of not watching the cash flow. Well, enough. Well, if you're at Nordic Track and you have a fifty thousand dollar hiccup, when you're a you know three hundred million dollar company, you can kind of look the other way. Mm -hmm. Well, when you have a that size of a hiccup, when when you're a startup, yeah. So I got that was an unfortunate uh, mistake there, but I kept it going, Mm -hmm. and that's always been my so that's kind of my my my, always been my part of my plan. uh, I guess if we jump. Uh, forward now to the sky ride that was always kind of the idea with that that i was going to create this idea and then uh with with the plan that somebody would come in and, and run it mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't really want to run it sure
0: so after row bike you were you already thinking sky ride there, there were a few other inventions in there or you tinkered around
1: oh yeah yeah there's always other things uh I had going on, but the the sky ride I had in the back of my mind for 20 years.
0: Why? Tell, tell us, what, what was the vision? What what did you see?
1: Well, the uh, the vision of the sky ride was really to combine the roller coaster to the fitness. Okay. I really wanted to, to make riding a bike or rowing a rowing machine fast and exciting. And bike riding is exciting. But I wanted to make it even more exciting, where you could be going 30 to 50 miles an hour, pedaling a bike on a controlled in a controlled environment, mm-hmm. being on a track.
0: Okay, so this is this is the idea. I'm so curious to get in your head. What do you What do you do at that point? Do you start sketching? Do you take rides?
1: How, how do you How do you innovate? The Sky Ride. Um, I came up with the vision, you know, and I. And it isn't that complicated of an idea, you know, because roller coasters have been out there, and then so I'm thinking, well, why not be able to do one human poweredly? So I had a friend of mine sketch, do a sketch one day, and it was a sketch that he was a really creative artist, and he, you know, he'd spend a half hour sketch it up, and I've got this sketch, and I was like, wow. So yeah. You know, the visual stuff, you know, they always talk about how you should always write down your goals. And, and, uh, same thing with a, an idea. I always did that with, with, you know, my skates I was working on as I do a sketch. And, and since I don't sketch, you get lucky and you find the right artist that can take that vision and make it look like it's even more. So that's what David did with the sky ride with just that simple sketch. And that's what empowered me. For so many years, I finally made a commitment and made a prototype, and uh, they call it the Rube Goldberg prototype. And if you saw it, you'd probably laugh at it, but that's a start. So, yeah. So
0: what was the prototype?
1: And that, that's, you ask, how do you do it? When, you know, I like, to get, I like to just build prototypes as simply and quickly as you can and get, get it moving, get it working. And it was just basically a round tube I had out in the back 40 and hanging up and a, a, a bike that had a wheel on it that you could ride it around and people could get on it and ride it. So you're sort of suspended from a track yes. in the
0: air, but instead of being powered around it like you might on like a big trapeze ride, you're pedaling yourself. Yes. Tell us what the sky ride is like today and, and is there a place where we could go ride it?
1: Well, th- yeah, we should be there right now, riding around and talking. <laughs> yes, we
0: should. Except I don't really like heights.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I
0: like to bike, but I like to do it on the ground.
1: Uh huh. Well, that's that's what was amazing about the first prototype because I only ca- had it like a foot off the ground, right? Because mm-hmm. it was a prototype. If it came apart, I didn't want to die. Sure. And Good then, plan. and then, of course, uh, and, and it was just a little loop. You know, I'm talking like. Uh, you know, 50-foot loop. Mm-hmm.
0: So you're, you're flying. You're basically pedaling yourself to fly.
1: Yep, and, uh, and, the, and it felt that way, too, in a lot of ways. So within uh, about two months, I, I jacked up the stands to raise the track. So we were five feet off the ground because we had a big winter that year. We were getting a lot of snow. <laughs> so I jacked it up, and uh, just that couple of feet took it to another height, Another uh level of excitement mm-hmm. because of the height, mm-hmm. like you were saying mm-hmm. right there's some point that you're afraid of heights, is it yeah. a foot off the ground or five feet? well, that's the beauty of it is really the height uh so now I built this commercial one I built on my own with some help of some engineers where I designed the track to go to hold a thousand pounds and then to go fifty miles an hour, and that's a About a 600 foot loop, which is similar to a a size of a hockey rink, if you put it in that and look at it that way. Not real big, but big enough to get some speed and the feel of it. And that was my commercial prototype that I thought, well, now I gotta go for it because this is costing me more money. Mm -hmm. And so I made some really nice sky rides, we call them, which is the the rides that you ride, the rides that you pedal. Or for me, the ride that you row, because I would rather be rowing than pedaling, so I got both. Mm. So with that, I felt I could get the media in.
0: Okay. This and, was how long ago?
1: And this was, uh, oh, you probably, uh, I, 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 I don't do well in, uh, uh, in the history, but let's say 10, 12 years ago. Oh,
0: okay. That long? Yeah. Okay. What was the reaction?
1: Well, it was great. I mean, uh, people really uh, ex- liked, uh, enjoyed the experience of, you know, I call it like flying around, pedaling around like ET.
0: So it was a, a decade ago that you first unveiled this to to the media. What's been happening since?
1: Well, I kept uh, I kept a positive attitude on it, and uh, I had a lot of stuff go on with it with different people and. All of a sudden, uh, we get a, a call from Shark Tank, and the guy that I had running the uh, the company at the time said, "Hey, uh, Oli, Shark Tank's calling. They they want uh, they want to do something with SkyRide." It's like, great, you know. And that was had, uh, was early on in in their career. The Shark Tank. Yeah.
0: Are you a fan of Shark Tank?
1: I am now. The long story short is I finally got on, and uh, they didn't like the idea, and they they, uh, I didn't get an a investor, and uh, a Cuban mentioned that he uh, would like to get one for his backyard. And I thought, well, that's great. So, when you come into Minneapolis, you know, give me a holler, we'll get you out to the farm. You can try it firsthand, yeah. And so, never heard of from him,
0: didn't hear from Mark Cuban, no. <laughs> Were you surprised that they didn't like it, and did did you did you keep your cool, or did you get a little hostile when no, they
1: were critical? No, I, I didn't get hostile. I and uh, I kept my cool, as I, you got to. When, yeah. And at the same time, uh, I wasn't didn't have any expectations. Yeah. And at the same time, I wasn't I didn't need it.
0: Mm-hmm. You weren't deterred.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, it was it was great. It was a great experience. And we 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 get calls. Just the other day, we got a call from Korea. And um, Dubai, because they do the reruns all the time.
0: Oh, right. A lot of people say that you you really, the the best thing that can happen is getting the exposure of Shark Tank without the deal. You're not um, beholden to them and to their investors, but you get the exposure. And that's the real value of the show. So did you get offers? Did people want to buy? Have you sold Skyrides? Oh, yeah.
1: Well, now... well, four or five years ago, Carnival Cruise came knocking on the door. For some reason, they they uh, signed up and bought a sky ride that went on. You know, it's a couple million dollar, maybe a three million dollar item. Mm-hmm. And we put it on one of their first big ships that they built called the Vista. Okay. And...
0: Is it still there today?
1: It's on it, yeah, it and it works. It hasn't blown off, and it still <laughs> oh, works. And nobody's <laughs> fell off. Wow! And it was such a hit that they probably paid for it in the first year based on the media coverage. Mm-hmm. And the word got out that people would be booking this ship just to ride the Sky Ride. Right.
0: So now, are you putting them on other ships?
1: Well, we're go- putting. Well, we they had an exclusive. Okay, so we put them on the the second ship they built, and then the the third ship came around, and they wanted to put it on the third ship that they built and And by that time, I was kind of fed up because the the first two ships I really didn't do that well on it, even though you know we we kept it we kept carnival happy mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean I made money on it mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so I had the attitude that that's our marketing arm. Mm-hmm. You know, if we keep Carnival happy, which we did, then uh, we'll get other orders. So anyhow, I did the third ship. And then uh, and during this time, we've had people fly in from all over the, the world looking mm-hmm. at it, wanting it for different applications. But long story short on that, that's been a disappointing part of Skyride is that I haven't got that next order to get me over the hump. I see.
0: Where, where do you think Skyride should be? Where would you like to see it?
1: Oh, I'd like to see it. We pitched it to the uh, the city, downtown, going across the Mississippi mm. on the barge embankments. I live on a houseboat downtown Minneapolis, too. Mm-hmm. Every morning when we run, you can see these the right just north of uh, the stone arch. You can see these bridge uh, yeah. barge embankments and uh, not being utilized. So that would be one vision. But there's so many different places that what we would take it anywhere just mm-hmm. to get it up on land to get people experiencing it where they don't have to go on a cruise ship mm-hmm. because I know the once you get on it, I like to say it could be like the like the London Eye where if it's done right, we could have people fly into Minneapolis just to ride it just like people fly sure. and get on the uh, kind of a cruise to ride it.
0: So is that what motivates you? I mean you're going to keep at this until you you get that perfect sky ride in that perfect epic location where it becomes an attraction?
1: Yeah, that that's you know and I'm not really I'm not working it as hard as I should be, but my focus now is you know once again I'm looking for the right person that wants to come in and so I'm putting my more energy into into that where I want to get the right person to come in to to take it to the next level. Okay, how are you going to approach it differently this time, Scott? I really want this to to be a
0: good, <laughs> healthy relationship for you.
1: Oh, well, going it, uh, you know, by um, spelling it out as best you can. You know, mm-hmm. what 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 do you want to do? What do you don't want to do? What can you do? So the goal is to get somebody to come in and uh, kind of head to lead it. You got to be flexible. Sure. I'm always flexible, and maybe maybe I'm too flexible. But at the same time, you know, you never know. You know, I've been in situations when uh, you know, we we've, we've hired uh, uh we've had headhunters bring in the best guys you think they've got the best resumes, you know, and you bring them on, you pay a lot of money, and they turn out to be a bomb. They just you know, they're not good in a small environment or whatever the reason is. So you never know. Mm-hmm. You know, people say you can't be bringing guys in out for of Craig'slist, you know
0: <laughs> probably not, but what about out of a business school? What about out of an entrepreneurship program? It's a different time today. So many people want to be you know in in business, in, yeah be entrepreneurs like you
1: well we've we've uh well that's my goal is that uh, i want to you know I want to find somebody that that wants to go and help me find the right person mm-hmm. so that's the only way I'm going to do it because i'm I'm so into the next idea. Uh. That or, was my
0: next question. you're already thinking ahead
1: yeah at the same time i'm still I'm still developing stuff for skyride we we're, we're doing a lot of work for carnival, so we we are you know improving on it mm-hmm. so but that's 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 the fun part.
0: Can you give us a, a little tease on what's going to come next? what's after skyride
1: oh i uh I haven't uh, I've been working on some other fitness products. I'm okay. more into fitness, so yeah, it'll be more fitness okay. related.
0: Will you ever stop? I mean, when you're an inventor, you're born an inventor, you're just always inventing.
1: I think uh, I I think I can stop tomorrow. You know, I mean, I just came back from A wonderful trip, uh, my second in the last six months over to Africa. Mm. So I I could see just hanging out, looking at the birds.
0: Yeah, but but I feel like even that would then (laughs) prompt an idea for another (laughs) product.
1: Well, that's the problem. The the ideas (laughs) keep coming up. The ideas keep coming. So, yeah, we'll see.
0: I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you for, for taking us along on the journey.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, as you heard, Scott Olson, Oli as his friends call him, was not exactly a by-the-book sort of entrepreneur. One has to wonder how he would have fared if he were in an entrepreneurship class. So let's go back to the classroom now with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, where Alec Johnson is the department chair of entrepreneurship. I'm really curious, Professor Johnson, what you think about Scott's style of entrepreneurship. How can you even label him?
2: Well, it's fascinating because we have a continuum of leadership styles for business. And the transition from being idea person to running and growing a business is something that a lot of founders don't make very easily. Mm -hmm. And, And so Scott is more on the end of the spectrum that we would call effectual leadership. That's sort of the academic research term, effectual leadership, where you start with the idea. And you go in search of the right customer and the right market and the right sort of solution for this, the right sort of problem for this solution. Mm -hmm. On the other side, you have a more traditional sort of CEO leader who sets goals, has management responsibilities, knows how to hire the right team, and and is in a more structured and well-understood environment. That's not the startup environment, and that's not the environment that inventors tend to work in.
0: Right, right. It seems with Scott that it wasn't even so much solving a problem. It was just this aha moment of, wow, that would be really cool to be able to put wheels on my skates.
2: The wow, it would be really cool moment is probably more common for for a entrepreneurs and we give it credit for Mm -hmm. the advice I would give Scott is to understand that there's a bit of a field of dreams approach here. If I build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And and I don't, you know, I I feel that in the interview. So that has its inherent risks to it. And, and so the advice is be prepared for the fact that they don't come. And Mm. then what do you have to do what activities do you have to engage in? How do you have to pivot your approach or your product to bring them in to using it? Sure. That's the advice I would give is to anticipate that. And so many entrepreneurs like Scott started with a problem or frustration.
0: Mm hmm.
2: But does that problem or or frustration translate to a larger, broader audience upon which we can actually build a growing business? And, and so that is so often the field of dreams problem, like a restaurateur mm-hmm. who wants to uh, has a passion for a type of food and wants to open their restaurant. And all I have to do, you know, sort of in their mind, they're thinking all I have to do is open the doors, and of course people will come flooding.
0: Mm, sure.
2: And, and almost very predictably, it just doesn't happen
0: that mm-hmm. often. So a little more planning, a little more structure up front or around, the, around the big idea, perhaps.
2: Right. Or staying true to what you do well, which is sort of the ideation process, and bring in the right team for planning. Now, Scott's experience was, uh, I, it sounded to me like more than once, he didn't have the right team. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a whole nother set there of knowing the right people to bring in. Right. Um, And, and other entrepreneurs in town will tell you, you know, that team, you, you, that you have to have trust and, and loyalty and respect for, for that team to work with somebody like Scott, who's now going to go off and just start developing the next idea.
0: I, I will say, I mean, even even with all of the disappointments and, and heartbreaks that he's had through his career, it's still pretty epic. I mean, he's still the guy who made the rollerblade.
2: It is epic. And 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 I wouldn't dare pretend to know. I know where the heartbreaks are and I don't know his whole story or any of the facts. It's just he, he's a creator. Mm-hmm. And these are sort of some these challenges repeat for creators right Right. less so than they repeat for mbas
0: (laughs) sure sure so if you're the creator type you go out of your way to make sure you've got that really reliable solid team and foundation around you
2: it's it's necessary for repeated success
0: yeah Yeah. now the real question alec do you want to try the sky ride
2: Nope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I went on his website and watched the videos, and it made me nervous. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll keep it on the ground. (laughs) Thank you, as always, for your advice and perspective. We really appreciate it. And thank you to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about By All Means, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. Thanks again for listening to the show. teamwork to make by all means and we've got some all-stars thanks to our audio engineer tom for digital support is ricky hannigan and dan nepo thanks to the university of st thomas opus college of business and schultz school of entrepreneurship especially associate dean laura dunham for all their support our theme music is by song finch thank you for listening to by all means